0: This is the Black and Blue Report, presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now, from Studio B, or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sallerson.
1: What's going on? Welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. I'm Daniel Sallerson. Hope this Tuesday finds you well. I know some of you probably struggling at work today after the late Monday night football game, a tough one. At the Mercedes-Benz Superdome as the Falcons beat the Saints 45 to 32. Falcons improved to 2-1. Saints dropped to 0-3. Such a emotional day uh, around the dome as it was themed around the rebirth and you know the Gleason block pun. And 10 years after the dome reopening um, on Monday Night Football against the Falcons. We're here again last night. Really cool at the beginning of the game to see the Falcons and Saints join hands in unity. Um, around midfield, so that was pretty cool, and uh, Saints looked like they were off to a good start. Uh, hold the Falcons three and out, get a touchdown on their opening drive, and then unfortunately the uh, muffed punt kind of with two guys running into each other on the Saints' size gets the Falcons back in it, gains their momentum back, and ties it up at seven, and then it was kind of the turning point from there as unfortunately the Saints fall to the Falcons 45-32. to 32. We have a lot to get to, so I'm not going to go too deep into this as we'll have John DeShazer on They kind of break down the game, but the Falcons, 217 rushing yards between Tevin Coleman, Matt Ryan, and Devontae Freeman. Matt Ryan, 240 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Drew Brees continues to do what Drew Brees does, 376 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. That one interception, though, costly. It was Deion Jones, the New Orleans native, uh, the Jesuit boy, uh, returning it 90 yards for a pick six. That was a huge uh, backbreaker. For the Saints, Kobe Fleener a positive, seven receptions, 109 yards, one TD. Michael Thomas getting some reps last night for over 70 yards. So there were some positives, there were some negatives. And of course now the Saints move on to a West Coast game as they take on the Chargers Sunday afternoon at 325 Central before their bye week. So hopefully the Saints can get one win before the bye week and kind of hang in there as the NFC South still wide open, not really sure what to take of the NFC South when you had the Bucks at 1-2. and two. You also had the Panthers at 1-2, and two, surprisingly, and the Falcons at 2-1. and one. But after last night, too, the Falcons' defense uh, still struggling a little bit, so not sure what the Falcons' identity looks like heading into their big Week 4 matchup against the Carolina Panthers. So um, I know a lot of people are down on this Tuesday, but still 13 games to go, plenty of time to try to right the ship and turn things around. And again, it starts on Sunday will be a tough one against the Chargers who are 1 and 2 but could easily be 3 and 0 as they had big leads and a lead against the Colts on Sunday and they fell at the last second to the Colt um the Chargers I mean fell last second to the Colts on Sunday but they also blew a 24-point lead I believe to the Chiefs opening weekends so they could easily be 3 and 0 they're 1 and 2 and they would like to get a win as well so it should be a big game and a good game on Sunday ...in San Diego. As I mentioned, we got a full show today. We have John DeShazer on from NewOrleansaints.com to break down Falcons and Saints. We also have Jake Seeley from RotoExperts.com, part of our Fantasy Focus presented by Xbox One. All your fantasy advice on this Tuesday. And then we'll talk some Pelicans, as we always do, with Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Training camp in full swing, and guess what? This Saturday is the first preseason game in Shreveport, Bossier City against the Dallas Mavericks. So we'll kind of get a little bit of a preview on today's show from Jim as we head into the week full of training camp. So we have a full jam-packed show today. I want to get to it. Up next, John DeShazer from New Orleans Saints.com
2: We all know Saints fans are humble, hardworking, likable, and the most devoted fans in the league. All of that takes energy. The energy you get from a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. It's meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Saints fans everywhere. Try the delicious chunky chicken and sausage gumbo. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, the hearty way to fuel your game, and the official soup of the New Orleans Saints.
0: Don't want to miss out on any of the action? Get connected with your New Orleans Pelicans 24-7, 365. Like us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter for exclusive prizes and giveaways. Plus, get text with all the latest breaking news right on your phone with Pelican mobile alerts. Visit Pelicans.com for information on these great features. Plus, sign up for Pelicans Insider with weekly updates from the Pelicans. Join the conversation today. We're talking Saints football on the Black and Blue Report.
1: Welcome back to the show. As we talked about in our first segment, Saints fall to the Falcons on Monday Night Football, forty-five to thirty-two, dropping to zero and three. Falcons improving to two and one. And since it is the day after a game, we welcome in John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. JD, um, before we get to the game last night, I know you were there, and obviously you were part of everything going on with the rebirth and the ten-year anniversary. Uh, how was that? How was that experience for you being in the dome ten years later after the dome reopened?
3: Well I mean obviously being there that night was an emotional moment, but the farther you get removed from it I mean you you remember it and you somewhat remember the the emotions that went into it that night um, you know I specifically remember being one of those people who were teary eyed and and you know you you just it wasn't so much that you were thankful for you know a building reopening but you know it was the symbolism of it and i I can't remember who said it exactly but you know I remember at the time I was saying you know this Kind of symbolizes, or gives the impression that New Orleans is, is is back in business. New Orleans, is, you know, the doors are back open. And so, from that standpoint, you always remember it. But, you know, in terms of you know being nostalgic about it, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to echo the team, but you know, I guess the farther you get removed from it, the less you you know the less emotional you get about it. i mean, you know you'll always remember it, of course, because you know it's one of the the iconic moments. Uh, in time in, in my career. I mean, you know, there are a handful of times uh, or events that you can remember, and that's, you know, up toward the top of the list. But then you get around to, to getting on with the, with the business at hand, and, and, and so it kind of melts into the background.
1: Fair enough, J.D., and it looked like yesterday the Saints were back in business after scoring the opening drive, making it 7 nothing early, and then you have the muff punt, the two players running into each other, and the Saints, the Falcons, end up scoring on the next play, basically making it seven to seven. And it felt like at first it was going to be the Saints that started rolling early. I know it was early in the game, but was that the turning point in the game as far as the momentum shifting to the Falcons?
4: Well,
3: it was for me because I mean, you know, not to say that the Falcons would have been reeling the entire game, but the Saints scored in the first possession, uh, they get a three and out defensively, uh, and all of a sudden you feel like, okay, this is one of those things that could tidal wave the other way on a Monday night and you feel like, okay, the Saints are going to secure this punt. You know, they'll have it at the, you know their own 20 or so, maybe 25, and then they'll drive back down the field and, and complete another score and drive and you know either kick a field goal or, or get a touchdown. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the two undrafted rookies, cornerback uh, Devontae Harris and wide receiver Tommy Lee Lewis, you know, bump into each other. And then uh, Harris, uh, frankly, panics on the play. The, the ball does not hit them. The ball strikes the ground like the turf, and Harris jumps up and I guess he thinks he's got to field it fielded and so he does and immediately fumbles without the cover at the Saints 11 and three plays later it's a tie game and so now all of a sudden you go from a huge uh, offensive possession with a touchdown you go from a huge defensive stand on the first on the first series of the game where they force a punt and now all of a sudden you know you're backed up defensively and uh, once the Falcons score, they you know they felt pretty good about themselves. So it almost felt like last year's game against the Titans, where there was an interception that could have been had between either Keenan Lewis or Jarrett Burt. They don't come up with the interception uh, the titans uh, the tight end Delaney Walker ends up with the with the catcher and not just the catch. He runs it in for a touchdown, and it seemed like at that point the Titans were just about ready, just about satisfied to pack it in. And then they score that one, and they're like, you know what? Hey, we're right here. And I almost got that feeling from the Falcons. Again, not like it was so late in the game that they didn't have any hope, but it was one of those situations where I think, I think the Saints could have given them, a, a, if not a knockout punch, a nice stand and eight count that we might have staggered them. And then they would have had some margin of error to work with because this Saints team we've seen in the first three weeks, they have a very, very, very minuscule, Um, margin for error during these games they've got to do a lot of things right because they can't seem to get all three units on the same page in the same game in these first three games Uh, two of the three games we've seen the offense play pretty well scoring 34 against Oakland and now 32 against Atlanta Uh, one game we've seen the defense play pretty well that was you know giving up three field goals against the New York Giants Uh, two of these games Though we've seen the, the special teams have a, have a huge breakdown that cost them a touchdown. You know, the, the field goal block against the Giants that's returned for a touchdown. And then last night, essentially that botched punt is a touchdown. That's a 14-point, that's a maybe a 10-point swing, at least a 7-point giveaway. So they can't seem to get all three units or even two units on the same page during the same game. And that's, that's been a huge problem. And of course, if that remains to be a problem, you know the Saints are going to continue to get the same results because it's difficult to play with one hand tied behind your back.
1: I want to talk about the defense a little bit. You had more injuries last night, dealing with Kenny Vaccaro out. You already had you already had Delvin Bro out. Um, secondary, I don't think did too bad as far as they contained Julio Jones. Not a lot of big plays as far as the receiving end, but I feel like the rush defense was the uh, place that struggled for the Saints as Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman uh went off do you feel like that was the, the big thing last night was the rush defense and not the pass defense?
3: Yeah, but 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 you put it in this perspective then if you can run it that way in the NFL you don't need to throw it. Right. So Matt Ryan only throws for 240 yards on 30 attempts. You know, generally, you know, in 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 most Falcons games Matt Ryan has more attempts than that. He has more passing yards than that. But when you can run it for 217 yards against a team in the NFL, I I I'd love to know what the percentages of winning are in those situations. It's got to be pretty high because you can keep a defense on its heels, and that's why the times that Matt Ryan did decide to throw it, because they were running so effectively, the Saints were on the heels. So you know the way the, Devontae Freeman and Tevin and Tevin Coleman were playing, you know, and the way they were running the football, then you know you can keep a team on its heels, and you're going to be in if you're in the second and two half the time, or if you're in a you know, third and one, or, you know, if you're gaining six, seven, eight yards on first down via the run, you're going to keep the defense completely on its heels because, you know, those are advantageous situations for an offense where you can pretty much dial up any play you want to dial up. And the Saints not being able to stop the run, it didn't matter that, you know, Matt Ryan only threw for 204 yards, you know, 20 or 30 from, you know, passing because he didn't have to. They didn't put him, they didn't make, the, they didn't make Atlanta. One dimensional, make Matt Ryan have to drop back and throw. Get into a situation where they could, you know, uh, hopefully apply an effective pass rush because everything was at Matt Ryan's disposal with that Atlanta offense because they were able to run so effectively.
1: Good point there, JD. I want to talk about some positives a little bit. At least I thought were some positives. Kobe Fleener, um, had over 100 yards receiving and a touchdown. I know he had a, a drop or two, but I still feel like he had a good game. And also, Michael Thomas uh, finally getting more touches with the absence of Willie Sneed. What would you think of those two players' performances last night?
3: Well, I mean, I, it was nice to see uh, Kobe Flina get some chemistry with Drew Brees in a game. Um, it's one of those things they've been working about, working on. They've been talking about, and hopefully, this is something that can carry over, confident wise. You know, now you know the Saints know okay, this guy can get, get up and down the seam. Okay, we, we know we can get him in some open spaces. And those were the tight plays they were talking about when they looked at the film from the Indianapolis Colts, saying, okay, this is the guy we wanted to play tight end. So that 109 receiving yards on seven catches was pretty big for Kobe Fleming. Mike Thomas, we know that kid can play. Mm-hmm. You know, the good thing is to see him do it in a game because you know he's a kid who, you know, when the opportunities are there, he comes up with the catches. So I think it was 7-for-71 seven with his first touchdown last night. And so, you know, it just kind of reinforces what your eyes have already told you because, you know, he came in and he's been a stud from day one in terms of understanding the offense and being able to make plays. You know, you can understand it and not be able to make plays. Well, Mike is a is a playmaker. He's one of those guys who, if you can get it in an area, he more than likely is going to come down with it or he's going to fight tooth and nail to have it. On that interception, the 90-yard interception return, uh, that gets tipped, you know, he was the intended target. And, I, I you know, I, I had to see the replay game. It looked like it might have been a little bit behind him or maybe the DB jumped the route a little bit and they were able to deflect it and the Falcons intercepted and return it. But Mike's one of those guys, he's a big-body guy. And, you know, if you if you don't, you know, put some pressure on him, especially in the red zone, he's going to be able to use that big body to get in front of defenders. They're gonna, they, they will not be able to get through him to get to the football. So it's encouraging to see him have a nice game in prime time no, but again, it's kind of reinforcing what we had already seen from him.
1: All right, let's talk about the next game against the Chargers. Now you're 0-3, about to head into your bye week after the game against the Chargers. You're two games back of the Falcons in the division. I know they're not worried about that right now, just trying to get a win. But we talk about a little margin of error uh, for this team right now. How is this mindset going into this game? Is it is it feel like, I hate putting the term must win because I know everyone says every game's a must win, but is this a must win game for the Saints, just to get some momentum heading into your bye week and hopefully trying to at least build from maybe a win going one and three?
3: Well, I mean, I don't know how there can't be a a tone of desperation, you know, and must win because, you know, this is a team that needs to get into the win column. They need to find something to feel good about going into the bye week. They, you know, I know that, you know, these guys are professionals and, you know, they're paid to, you know, do a job and you, you know, you want to have a short memory and yet to have. Uh, to open the season with a four-game losing streak and to go into the bye week, that gives you two weeks to think about it, as opposed to, you know, yeah, you might be one and three going into the bye week, but you go in off a win, you go in off something positive, you got, you know, a positive mindset, and then you get a chance to get away, you know, help hopefully recalibrate. But, uh, you know, I, I you know, I, I know a lot of times the coach will, you know, coaches will say the only must-win game is the game that either keeps you alive for the playoffs or eliminates you from the playoffs. But, you know, 0-3 is a difficult a difficult hill to climb in the NFL. And, yeah, it's been done before, but, you know, you can look at it statistically and see how many times it's been done. It's extremely, extremely difficult. So getting in the win column as soon as possible, obviously, you know, will benefit the Saints. And, you know, they don't, you, know you don't want to go into the bye week 0-4 because, again, not only do you have, you know, a couple of weeks to stew on it, but you know, that O and four staring you on in the face and statistically you know what O and four mean has meant in the NFL. And yeah, you wanna be able to say you're gonna be the team that's gonna butt the trend or, you know, join those underdogs who are able to come back from it, but it's still a difficult task. There's a reason not many franchises in NFL history have been able to dig out of that hole. you don't wanna be the one of the ones trying to dig out of that hole
1: no doubt about that should be interesting game against the Chargers who are one and two but can easily be three no they blew a big lead against the Kansas City Chiefs and also blew a lead against the Coldplay in the game so it should be an interesting game as Drew Brees heads back to San Diego that's Sean DeShazer from New Orleans Saints.com JD appreciate the insight as always and we'll talk to you soon my friend
3: will do my friend
1: all right when we come back we'll talk fantasy football with Jake Seeley stay with us this is the Black and Blue Report Gatorade, for athletes who move the game forward, we're creating the fuel to do the same. Innovating beyond hydration to create the future of sports fuel. Fueling today, fueling the future.
0: Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Daniel Sellerson.
1: Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. As we always do on Tuesday, I welcome in Jake Seely from RotoExperts.com, part of our Fantasy Focus presented by Campbell Soup. Of course, Tuesdays mean usually you're in a good mood if your fantasy team's won or you're in a bad mood because your fantasy team's lost. So No fear, Jake Seeley is here to help you with all your fantasy football needs. Jake, happy Tuesday to you, my friend.
4: Yeah, Happy Tuesday to you. I guess I'm kind of uh, in the middle because about half my team's won and about half of them lost. It wasn't wasn't the best. It wasn't definitely not a 13 and 1 week like last week.
1: No, I was Owen 2 this week, so I feel your pain, so I'm actually going to need your help and one of the guys I have that is not doing too well right now is Andrew Luck who had a really good first game uh putting up a ton of points, but the last two weeks he has struggled. Is it time to think about trading Andrew Luck or going another route QB wise? Uh what should fanny fantasy owners do with Mr. Luck?
4: It's tough to sell right now because unless somebody's going to give you the name value, you're just not going to get the return because, as you said, it hasn't been the best two weeks. The good thing about Andrew Luck is, look, the defense is pretty atrocious. They're going to be passing all season long. Uh, he's still on pace for his best season ever when it comes to yard perspective, over 4,800 yards, and his career best is the 47-61. So there's still plenty of upside for Andrew Luck, but as mentioned, it's not just the deficiencies on defense. The offensive line is kind of what's hurting him too. Is that You could be the best quarterback in the league, whether or not you want to say that's Andrew Luck or Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers or whoever it is, or Tom Brady. If the offensive line is only giving you two or three seconds to throw, you're going to struggle no matter who you are. So I would definitely consider trading him because you have that aspect of it. Plus, if he's taking as many hits as his, then you got to add in the at, uh, the injury factor, which we've already seen him get hurt before like last year. So I would definitely consider it. But I wouldn't do anything less than close to what you pay for in the draft. Like if you're thinking round four or five value, uh, I would want something at least somewhere around there. You know, If you get help at running back wide receiver and you have another quarterback on your team, sure. But right now you're probably not getting the best value possible for it.
1: All right, so if you're thinking about trading Andrew Luck or just trading one of your guys anyways, give me one or two players that after uh, seeing them for three weeks is worth trying to trade for.
4: Well, actually, if I'm doing the Andrew Luck and I'm trying to get a quarterback and maybe get two pieces back in a trade, I'm going after Eli Manning because, like Andrew Luck, has had a little bit of a slow start, but the yards are there. The touchdowns just haven't been there, and the touchdowns are going to come. When you're throwing for over 300 yards a game, the touchdowns are going to come. When you're talking about Odell Beckham has yet to score – uh, I, I'm really looking at Eli Manning as a QB one going forward. And then if you trade Andrew Luck for him, you could probably get Eli and somebody, especially because his value is depressed. A lot of people are down on Eli Manning right now. At the running back and wide receiver position, there's a lot of big names so far that you can get. Eddie Lacy I think is the perfect option to buy low at running back. Last week I said it was Mark Ingram. If you missed out on that opportunity, you probably can't do that anymore. But Eddie Lacy, similar situation. is Getting the touches, looking good in yards per carry, hasn't scored yet. Obviously, the offense turned things around quite a bit for the Packers last week. And the biggest value that Eddie Lacy has always had is a double-digit touchdown. So those should be coming. And then Brandel Marshall, Brandon Marshall at wide receiver. A similar situation. Although his is a little bit injury-related, you want to hope and in- not trade for him unless we know for sure that he's a healthy 100 percent but we're talking about when it comes to fantasy a top 10 wide receiver if he's healthy with Fitzpatrick as much as he throws with as much as he looks to him in the red zone Uh, those are all three guys who started off kind of slow especially in the touchdown department that I'd be looking to buy on
1: there's some teams due to injury or just the way their team is structured right now have some running back by committee Um, which ones should we keep an eye on as far as fantasy owners are concerned
4: I think the two that I want some clarity on the the situation with Carolina, obviously Jonathan Stewart should be back in a little time, so I don't know how much value we're going to get at Cameron Ars Payne and Fozzie Whitaker, even if that clears up. So I'm um, looking at the Vikings. Jarek McKinnon looked better than Asiata. The biggest concern for there was the fact that Asiata was going to steal all the goal line touches. Uh, that still could possibly be the case, but even though Matt Forte in his heyday with the Bears, he was still an RB1, even though somebody always came in and took the touchdown from him. So as long as McKinnon's getting the most of the carries out of the Vikings' backfield, I'm looking for him. Uh, I want to trust him. I look for a matchup this week against the Giants, which should be a little bit more telling, too, because their run defense has been pretty strong. So you kind of see how they plan to use them in even tougher matchups like this. So if McKinnon comes out with a decent game, I feel a lot better. And then the Browns, Uh, I think this actually could be very similar to the Falcons or the Bengals or those type of backfields where, now, you don't want to start both. You don't want to own both, but both of them can be startable for if you own either option. Obviously, with the Browns, Crowell is the better standard option, but with Cody Kessler at quarterback, Duke Johnson finally had his best game of the season. and looks to be a lot more involved, and obviously, Josh Gordon coming back next week is just going to help open off the de- open up defenses a little bit more to make it softer for Duke Johnson. So, I want to see another good game before I completely trust him in my lineup as I do with Isaiah Crowell. But another good game in Week Four and. He'll be back into at least the PPR conversation of being start-worthy.
1: All right, time to look at the waiver wire for this week leading up to Thursday's game between the Bengals and the Dolphins. Who are two or three guys that we should try to pick up on the waiver wire?
4: Well, top of the list, I'm going to skip right past and just like kind of just touch on Jordan Howard. Obviously, at running back, you're going to have to spend a lot your first waiver spot if you have rolling waivers. Terrell Pryor, the exact same thing. Everybody knows those names. But I'm going to throw out three more for you guys. Kenneth Dixon. Is right. I, I think I've mentioned him on the show already, and I mentioned Jordan Howard before too. So make sure you guys are listening to this. Kenneth Dixon is going to be the Jordan Howard in a few weeks when he comes in and takes over that Ravens backfield. The only he's really stepped forward in that backfield. Kenneth Dixon is the most talented option. He just needs to get healthy. Don't let this situation fall out where you didn't pick up Jordan Howard in the same situation as Kenneth Dixon, and now you have to spend a ton of your budget or that number one waiver priority on him when you can stash him for nothing right now. So I'm looking at that. Dwayne Washington is another good one with the Lions. I think we touched on him briefly last week, but he can be Amir Abdullah. Theo Riddick obviously isn't suited to be a lead option. They have already talked about getting Dwayne Washington more involved this week, and if, he's, if he turns into Amir Abdullah, that's going to be flex value even in standard leagues. And then on the wide receiver side, I think this is more so for PPR leagues, but Jameson Crowder has been a very steady presence with the Redskins, actually among the top for the team in targets, receptions, and yards. Uh, this is a pass-heavy offense. I don't think that's going to change. And if you look at Crowder, he's actually been a wide receiver three in PPR so far. You might even be able to sneak him in in the bye weeks in standard leagues.
1: Of course, if you had some Saints on Monday Night Football, it probably helped you uh, as far as fantasy purposes are concerned. I know they yep. lost last night, but put up 32 points. Uh, Drew Brees, a couple touchdowns, won the Kobe Fleener. So just uh, through three week through three weeks, I should say, where would you rank Brees, Ingram, and Cooks right now? Maybe even Willie Snead. I know he was hurt, but give me some rankings uh, for some of these Saints players.
4: Uh, Drew Brees is obviously top three, if not tops, uh, mostly because the defense is going to force them to play catch-up or at least keep up in a lot of games and outscore the opponents. As It doesn't look like it's always going to work, as we saw last week. But Drew Brees, uh, right now he's on pace for 5,600 yards. So I, I don't think that's exactly going to happen, but Drew Brees probably a top quarterback in all of fantasy football for this season. Eight touchdowns, one interception. He has to love him so far. Mark Ingram, uh, we were waiting for that touchdown to come. Like As we said, that's why he was a by candidate last week. He's a clear RB1, probably still in the top ten, pro- at the back end of the top ten, but for the fact that he's still involved in the passing game, even when Travers Cadet stepping up a little bit more, I think that's only going to help his value. Brandon Cooks is a fringe wide receiver, one. I know he was shut down, as you mentioned, but the the thing is, 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 as Saints fans probably know by now, Trufant is a Pro Bowl corner. He's somebody that you have to take seriously, that actually deserves his name to be mentioned, probably inside the top five corners of the league. So... I think that it was just a game where they sold out to stop Cooks, and as we saw, everything else—Michael Thomas, Colby Fleener, <laughs> Mark Ingram—everything else worked out well for them. So Willie Sneed, as long as he's healthy and obviously playing, he's a wide receiver too and locked into there. Colby Fleener had his breakout game and hopefully gets on track and as a tight end one. And then if you want to go deeper, Michael Thomas, I think is a wide receiver four. You know that I've been talking about him, big fan of his and his route running ability. He, with these bye weeks coming up. He's going to end up starting for a lot of lineups for these next couple weeks. And as we saw, the potential he has over the middle of the field in uh, the game against the Falcons, I think he has tremendous value.
1: All right, good stuff there, as always, from Jake Seely from RotoExperts.com, part of our Fantasy Focus, presented by Campbell Soup. Jake, I appreciate the insight, and we'll talk to you next week. I appreciate it. All right, we'll talk Pelicans next on the Black and Blue Report.
2: Hey, fans,
4: on Saturday, October 1st, cheer on your Pelicans as they play their first preseason game of the season against the Dallas Mavericks at the CenturyLink Center in Bozier City. Ticket prices start at just $15 and can be purchased from the CenturyLink Center box office, www.ticketmaster.com, by phone at 800-745-3000, or at any authorized Ticketmaster outlet. For more, be sure to visit shreveport-bossier.org or call 888-45-VISIT.
0: We're talking Pelicans basketball on the Black and Blue Report.
1: I know we've talked a lot of football on today's Black and Blue Report, but we can't forget about the New Orleans Pelicans who are uh, in training camp mode right now as we're beginning, let's see, training camp day number four, I should say, on this Tuesday for the Pelicans as they get ready for preseason game number one on Saturday. And since it is Tuesday, that means Jim offer from pelicans.com is uh, here with me. Should I also say Jim Mikenhofer, Pelican's color commentator? Because uh, Jim will be joining me on the broadcast on Saturday. Sean has to take care of a family matter. So Jim will be on the call with me for Saturday's game in Boger City. So is it okay to call you color commentator?
5: Definitely. I- I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to lean heavily on you. I know you have one game of official experience from last season when you had to fill in for Sean. I have zero so, t- to me, you're the, uh, the the savvy, wise and veteran compared to my complete lack of experience of doing this.
1: That's a scary thought, saying that I'm the seasoned veteran when <laughs> I've had one play-by-play game under my belt. But we'll have some fun on uh, Saturday. We'll get to that in a little bit as we'll kind of have some fun with it um, before we get out of here. But let's talk about these last couple of days. I know you don't really get to watch too much of what goes on during training camp, but you do get to talk to Coach and the players every day. So... He- Listening to coach and the players so far in the last few days, what is this team focusing on right now, uh, four days into training camp?
5: I think one of the things that stands out from the first few days, and I'm sure a lot of fans have watched the videos on the website and listened to a lot of the interviews, is um, it, it definitely seems like there's a, a ver- everyone's on the same page in terms of their mentality. Um, I think a lot of guys are, are really taking a team-first approach. Not that that's unusual, but I feel like... You know, it, it's definitely something that stands out. Um, I think a lot of guys right now don't know exactly what their roles are going to be. We don't know, you know, who's going to start. We don't know, you know, who exactly how the rotation is going to look. But I feel like Tim Fraser was an example of this. Someone asked him uh, the other day, Tim, do you see yourself as a starter? And he said, I, I see myself as a player. And whatever the team needs me to do, whether it's play 10 minutes, whether it's fill up water cups for the other guys, whether it's start and play – 35 minutes. Uh, that's what I'm focusing on right now. Um, Etwan Moore uh, spoke yesterday. Kind of, kind of the same idea. Um, I think a lot of these guys are pretty open-minded right now, and they kind of have to be because, like I said, we don't know exactly what their roles are going to be, and it's it's kind of it kind of makes for an interesting training camp. I think in that there are a lot of questions that need to be answered, and there's a lot of things that that um Elvin Gentry and the the coaching staff are going to determine based on obviously training camp practices and and preseason games um, there's things are not set in stone you know relative to most NBA teams i think here things are a little bit more fluid and and so i think that is going to make things pretty compelling over the next few weeks
1: so that brings me to my next question you know you kind of pointed on it a little bit about the team's mentality right now i keep hearing the word process and i'm not sure if it's the same as the whole trust the process as far as the Philadelphia 76ers are concerned I, let's hope not as well but they are saying the word a lot, and I feel like there is, you know, there's some injuries still heading the training camp, some injury, you know, concerns. There's also the fact that Drew Holiday won't be here. What is this team's mentality right now? Not only heading into training camp, but, you know, even into the first preseason game, even into the regular season.
5: Well, I, I think so early in everything right now, um, people are there's, – there's a lot of patience that goes into learning the system, learning the plays, um, some of the guys that were here last season, like Tim Frazier, seems to be a good example, have a little bit of a head start, but there's also a pretty big crop of guys that are brand new here. And even though they've spent time with each other during voluntary workouts and stuff like that, right now they're just trying to soak it up as much as they possibly can in terms of learning the playbook, learning the plays, learning some of the tendencies of guys, um, trying to you know figure out how the offensive system affects you know, kind of the decisions they make on the court, where they're supposed, to, what spots they're supposed to be. So, I, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, um, you know, intense process leading up to Saturday's preseason game. Before you actually get out on the court and play against another NBA team, in terms of how much time and thought has to go into to learning all the stuff that they need to be as prepared as they possibly can for preseason, and then October 26th when the regular season starts.
1: You talked about it may be too early to know about rotations or more saying that a lot of teams have their rotations sort of figured out, but this team really doesn't because it's a preseason game. It's also against a divisional opponent. I don't know if it's the same as the NFL preseason where they try to not do so much of, it's more going to be a vanilla offense and a mm-hmm. vanilla defense just because you don't want the other tipping your hand to the other team. But are we going to get a better idea of what the rotation might look like on Saturday or because there's so many training camp guys, we might not even have an idea after Saturday.
5: I think I would answer that by saying partially we might get a better idea. I think we will we'll get an idea of what maybe the initial thought process is. But I think given the circumstances of of some of the guys that are injured that you know will eventually be coming back, um, all the new players that are in the mix, um, a lot of guys that are going to play more this year or probably than they ever have in their career. I think what I'm looking at Saturday as is the first chance to say like. OK, maybe this is the, the starting five that is on the court. Maybe this is what they're leaning towards doing, but that it's not going to be set in stone, that it's going to be kind of a, a, an ongoing process. Maybe, um, you know, compared to other NBA teams, one of the things I always look at is like when you read preview magazines or previews on websites, you'll see like a projected starting five and projected rotation there's a lot of teams in the NBA where somebody can sit down and do that pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Whereas with here, I think you're, you're going to do a lot of kind of, I don't want to say guesswork, but you're going to have to do some, some educated guesses. So um, I think Saturday's game and then Tuesday next week at home against Indiana, we'll probably start to get a little bit of a better feel of like, okay, um, if everything's equal, this is, this might be the group we go with, but I don't at all think that if we watch Saturday's game and the, the starting five that they have out there, does poorly or does great that it's like, okay, well this is this is what it's gonna be. I think it's a fluid thing that will will probably change as time goes on.
1: So we will look out for the rotations on Saturdays to kinda of get an idea, but what else should we look out for as far as Saturday is concerned?
5: I mean I think one of the biggest things I'm gonna gonna look at is is some of the new players. Um I mean, Buddy Heald, Sheck Diallo, I'm not sure exactly what the plan is in terms of how much playing time really any of these guys are going to get but um, that's probably the biggest thing for me is just, just watching some of the new guys, watching how they play off of each other. Um, you have a backcourt situation where um, you have Tim Frazier who played only 16 games last year. I thought he did a great job, but hasn't played here a ton. Um, Langston Galloway, one Moore are brand new guys. So how are they going to play together? Um, I, I, I feel like there's there's really a lot of different things that you can look at. But to me – the biggest thing that I'm excited to see is the new players. I feel like the other the, most of the guys that that are returning players have been here for three four years, so um, there aren't may, aren't necessarily going to be a lot of surprises with those guys. But um, the new the new players are definitely I'm I'm intrigued to see how they do, um, especially against a, another um, NBA team now.
1: Now there's a, there's a stigma about preseason, which at least there is in my opinion. It's kind of I think correlates to the NFL. When you watch a game, a preseason game in the NFL, if a player does well, you hear, oh, well, it's just preseason. You can't really look into the numbers. But then if they do bad in preseason, you go, well, this should be a concern because you're not necessarily playing the top guys in the NFL. So we should be worried about this guy. What are expectations for not only just the first preseason game, but all preseason games in general in the NBA? Is it the same thing where where we can't freak out about one game? Or... We have to worry about oh this person didn't play well in the first game, or is it something that we can actually take numbers from the first game and go, this is concerning, this is uplifting, and vice versa.
5: In my opinion, I like to look at it like I throw out, I throw out most of the team aspects of preseason. There's been I feel like there's been many years where they've done really well in preseason and then gotten off to a poor start in regular season, and vice versa. So the team aspect of it in terms of winning and lo- winning and losing, I don't really put much merit into it all. Um, I don't throw out the individual aspect of it, though, because I think there are things that you see during preseason that carry over, whether it's, wow, this guy's in really good shape and we didn't know that, or, you know, oh, this guy can do some of these things that we didn't know because from the team that he was on previous to here, maybe he was never asked to do that. So, um, But I don't think it's it's exactly the same as the NFL from the simple standpoint that in the NFL – There's so much more, so many more guys on the roster, obviously, because of the nature of the sport. But I think in preseason you also see a lot more um, games where a vast majority of the game is third string, fourth string guys. Whereas in the NBA, you can't really, you don't see like entire preseason games. Maybe the last one you see more of that, but I do put a little bit more weight into in terms of what I see on the court in preseason for NBA than I do NFL simply because you will see times in preseason where your starting 5 is going against the other team's starting 5 granted the intensity and the situation circumstances aren't the same or even close to that as regu- as the regular season but you're still seeing you know competition in in legitimate um you know top guys versus top guys even if it's only for a part of a game whereas i think in the NFL sometimes you see a lot of preseason games where it's like the first series is is ones versus ones and then that's it right. so NBA, you get a lot more. I think real, real um, players versus real players.
1: We also don't know how much each player is going to play. As far as we have, also have 20 guys on the team, so not sure how long we're going to see Anthony Davis, Solomon Hill. We could see a bunch of the training camp guys. We also see a bunch of the, especially with the injuries, though you might not see a lot of these guys. So it's it's so hard to tell. But we'll definitely keep an eye on that heading into Saturday. And so the big question, the most important question is, Jim, what can we expect from you as a color commentator on Saturday? I believe, I mean, are you going to bring your radio telestrator? That way people <laughs> can see what you're drawing up here. Do I need a cool three-point catchphrase? You know, Sean likes to say pal right in the kisser, which I love. Uh-huh. Do I need one like kaboom or <laughs> waka flaka or I don't know? I mean, do I just need to go outrageous or anything? to Boom goes it? the dynamite. Boonah. Is that still a
5: thing or is that something that – we need to forget about. I hope I don't say boom I
1: don't <laughs> like, but you never know. It's preseason. We might have to get creative. We might have to entertain ourselves a little bit.
5: But you ready for this, my friend? My my expectations are like the Sixers' expectations going into last season. I might be able to. I'm setting the bar very low. I don't really know what I'm gonna do because obviously I've never done this before for basketball. Um. So, I I mean I could maybe I can come up with some great things. Maybe I'll surprise myself and win 25 games using the Sixers analogy, 30 games. But, but um, I just want everyone to, to, um, to, you know, be patient and, and not have huge expectations, and, um, and we'll see how it goes. I'm
1: just worried that someone's going to steal you away after you have such a great radio call on Saturday <laughs> night that you might just lead the team and just venture out <laughs> in the radio world.
5: It could be, but, I mean, all these years of training and, and writing, I, I, it'd be hard for me to just turn my back on, on the writing game but you never know. I mean, you know if if there's a better offer, then you know you might that might be the last time you see me now. Not to
1: put any pressure on you, but it's also the pressure on me is we're the only game we're the only broadcast going on. A, a Dallas broadcast will be, but there's no TV on Saturday, so we're it.
5: Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, I guess people are stuck with us. I guess they don't really have a choice. I mean, we'll if apologize they wanna, in advance. <laughs> if they want to follow this game, then Daniel and Jim, that's what you got, so we're, we're going to make the best of it though. For seven sure.
1: o'clock we're on the call 6 30 we'll start pregame. we'll do a pregame hit with Jim and then we'll be at it at seven o'clock and you can hear us on 99.5 WRNO locally I'll try to get all the information about the Pelicans app and everything else if you want to hear it nationally if you're not in the New Orleans area but want to chime in on the game uh we'll try to figure that out as well for you but Jim I appreciate it enjoy the rest of the week and uh I'll see you in Vegas.
5: Sounds good. I'm really looking forward to this. This is going to be really interesting, to say the least.
1: All right, we'll wrap up today's show next. This is the Black and Blue Report.
0: The Pelican Shop by Adidas has all your Pelicans merchandise needs, including officially licensed men's, women's, and children's apparel, jerseys from all your favorite Pelicans players,
4: and more.
0: Plus, it's the official location to pick up the newly released Pelicans Mardi Gras uniform. The Pelican Shop by Adidas, located on Dave Dixon Drive in the Smoothie King Center, is open at all Pelicans home games, plus Tuesday through Friday, 11 a.m. till 5 p.m. On
1: Saturday from 11 a.m. till 3 p.m. and anytime at Pelicans.com. Gatorade, for athletes who move the game forward, we're creating the fuel to do the same, innovating beyond hydration to create the future of sports fuel. Fueling today, fueling the future.
0: Got a long day ahead? Power on with Smoothie King's new Coffee High
5: Protein Smoothies. It's a nutritious breakfast blended to shift your morning into high gear with delightfully smooth cold-brewed coffee for your mind and at least 30 grams of protein for your body. Try all four energizing flavors, vanilla, almond mocha, raspberry mocha, and cinnamon latte, and power on your day. New coffee high-protein smoothies. Coffee for your
0: mind and protein for your body. Only at Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Follow us on Twitter at BlackBlueReport.
1: All right, big show today. Wish we were talking about a Saints win, but uh, we'll continue to get you ready for Saints and Chargers now. On Sunday afternoon, we'll also continue to get you ready for Pelicans Mavericks preseason game number one on Saturday. Big thanks to John the Shazer, Jake Sealy, and Jim Ikenoffer from Pelicans.com. We'll also talk tomorrow about uh, our new coaches show format, the Alvin Gentry show, as we uh, always had on Thursdays last year. We'll continue that, but we'll have an hour show, and it'll be live, so we'll take your phone calls and have some fun on Thursdays. We'll have more info on that on tomorrow's show. We'll hear from Solomon Hill. Uh, new Pelicans forward. We'll have him on to talk about how he's doing so far, adjusting to a new team. And of course, you never know who else will stop by. Hope the rest of this Tuesday finds you well. And until tomorrow, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, the Black and Blue Report. Thanks
0: for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by ADC Insurance Agencies. A better choice for insurance. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at noon central or at your convenience exclusively online at pelicans.com and neworleansaints.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.